This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Meditation is a way for nourishing and blossoming the divine within you. Amit Ray Molly Larkin starts by citing two studies that help explain what meditation can do for us. Several years ago, a study was done that estimated our brains think up to 50,000 thoughts each day, and 90% are the same as yesterday. There's some dispute as to the accuracy of this statistic, but even if the number is half of that, it's a heck of a lot of thoughts. Another study published in a 2010 issue of Science Magazine reported that the average American adult spends 47% of their waking life mind-wandering or not attending to the task at hand. Moreover, these periods of mind-wandering were accompanied by reports of unhappiness. What does meditation do? Very simply, meditation helps shut out or at least slow down those 50,000 random thoughts and quiets both the mind and the body. Meditation helps us to pay attention and focus. Meditation helps to stop our mind wandering. Learning to control our random thoughts helps us achieve a state of deep peace when the mind is calm and silent. In today's world, we have a lot working against us. A big one is the feeling of time speeding up and slipping away. But really, there are 60 minutes in an hour and 24 hours in a day. It's more about the increasing amount of activity and rate of change that we must cope with in a day. Currently, there are more world-changing events happening in any given period of time than have ever happened before. Eric Schmidt, former CEO of Google, said, We human beings currently create as much information in two days as we did from the dawn of civilization up through 2003. That was in 2003. How much more information must be inundating us today? No wonder we're overwhelmed. Our minds can't keep up, so we tend to shut down and go numb. Our minds were not built for speed. We evolved when things were much slower. 400 years ago, people had a lot of time to ponder things before they had to change. Our bodies were, and still are, designed to be in tune with the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, and the cycles of nature. That simplicity is what our souls long for. Meditation helps us slow down and return to the sacred and our relationship with the natural world. Valeria interviews Molly Larkin, author of Meditations on the Natural World and The Fountain of Youth is Just a Breath Away. A writer, teacher, 
and healing practitioner, Molly Larkin has spent over 30 years studying with Indigenous elders around the world and is passionate about health and balanced living. She's a trainer for England's The Healing Trust, teaching spiritual healing around the United States. She is a sun dancer in the Lakota tradition, has done several vision quests, leads sweat lodges, and is a carrier of the sacred pipe. Her mission is to help students and clients achieve their life purpose while balancing spirituality and modern life so they can be happy, healthy, and successful. In other words, in living at 100% of their own potential. Her first Native American teacher, Sun Bear, said, I don't want to hear about your philosophy unless it will help me grow corn, meaning that it will have a practical impact on improving day-to-day life. That is what Molly offers. She co-authored with Muscogee Creek elder Marcellus Bear Hart Williams the international bestseller The Wind is My Mother, The Life and Teachings of a Native American Shaman. She blogs about ancient wisdom for balanced living at www.mollylarkin.com and has published two other books, Meditations on the Natural World, a guided journal to help find the technique that is right for you, and The Fountain of Youth is Just a Breath Away, breathing exercises for relaxation, health, and vitality. Here is the interview with Molly Larkin. In your own words, who is Molly Larkin? Well, Molly is a spiritual seeker. I have been my entire life. And my life purpose is to um, help others achieve their purpose. And I do that through teaching classes in energy healing. I'm a writer. I write books. I blog. I have a spiritual inspirational blog. So I'm trying to contribute to human consciousness in that way. How wonderful. Thank you. Before we begin to talk about some of the topics in your books, Meditations on the Natural World, a guided journal to find the technique that is right for you, and your other book, The Fountain of Youth is Just a Breath Away. I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off-record. The first one is about life. What is life to you, Molly? A spiritual path. I believe that we come into this life to better ourselves, to raise our consciousness. And if we get it right, we may ascend and never have to come back. And if we don't achieve total consciousness, we'll have to come back to keep trying. Uh, I've read a fascinating book on this topic which unfortunately I cannot recall the title, but a psychiatrist interviewed a lot, a whole bunch of people who had had, um, they had technically medically died, but came back. And he, he asked them about their experience when they died. And all of them, 95% had the same experience. They said, it's like you go into this cosmic classroom with other people that you do in your life where you review your life and figure out, well, what did you learn? Was it enough? Do you need to go back to keep trying and keep learning? That made a lot of sense to me. So that's my view of life. It's like a classroom. It's a classroom. Yeah, it very much feels like that. 
That's true. It does feel like that. What do you think is the opposite of life? I'd say the opposite of life is people who are, are not living their true calling. People who allow their parents and school teachers when they're children uh, to dissuade them from doing the things that make their souls sing. I know for me, that's what my childhood was like. And I spent decades trying to free myself from those restrictions and starting to do what I loved. So if you're not finding a way to do what you love, you may not be truly living. Yeah, yeah, that resonates a lot. What is your idea of a balanced life? A good diet, work, play, exercise, time with friends, time with family, and learning how to laugh a lot. To me, that's balance. <laughs> Can't have a balanced life without laughter. I agree. Yeah, I absolutely agree. What is the meaning of freedom to you? Hmm, freedom. You do what is true to you, and you don't let other people tell you, oh, no, no, you can't do that. that women don't, do, girls don't do that. You know, young men don't do that. Um, being able to be true to yourself and do what you want without other people criticizing you for it. Right. Wow. And that takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? Oh, yes, it does. It yeah, does. we might lose a lot of people <laughs> yeah. along the way. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And that's very much worth it, isn't it, Molly? Yes, yes. At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? And what is your vision for a new reality? Well, the, the world's greatest needs, plural, can be solved by one thing, equal distribution of income. Right now, 1% of the people own 99% of the wealth, and that causes extreme poverty. And as long as there is extreme poverty, we're not going to be, fit, be able to fix the ills um, of people who don't get educated. They um, may go down a wrong path of crime. Um, people die from hunger. Uh, they don't have enough hospitals in the places where they're needed. Equal distribution of wealth would do that. And that doesn't mean that millionaires can't be millionaires. But there's such an extreme, unequal distribution of wealth. I think that's the biggest problem in the world. Because if that's fixed, everything else will follow. Right. That's interesting. That makes me think about communism. Do you think that, that that was the idea so long ago? Do they have a point, whoever came up with the idea of communism? Well, I think the idea was probably a good one when it started out. But in practice, it didn't work. Because there was still an enormous amount of poverty. And lack of freedom, there's no freedom. Um, so, you know, that, that didn't work. <laughs> that didn't work. So do we already have a model for that, for the equal distribution of wealth? Yeah, actually, I didn't expect to get political. <laughs> um, right. uh, Bernie, Bernie Sanders' democratic socialism would be an excellent model. And people get all freaked out at the word socialism, yet we already have it. We pay taxes, and for, for that we get schools. We get roads repaired. We um, have a fire department. We have a police department. That's all paid for by our taxes. So by expanding it, we, everybody could have medical care. It's outrageous. It's sinful that the United States, not everybody has medical care, in my opinion. So that seems to be a model that is the most workable and the most kind to humanity. Mm, I love that. Every other, 
most other countries actually have it. We're, we're one of the few that don't. Wow. Socialism, right. Well, democratic socialism. Oh, democratic, right. Okay, so we have to make that distinction. <laughs> Um, so continue with my warm-up questions. Um, what is love to you? How do you define love? Hearts connecting, a feeling of compassion and caring for others. If you love someone, you care what happens to them. You want them to be happy. You want them to experience kindness in their life. You want to be kind to them. And there's a lot of different formats of love. You know, there's love between family members, mother and child. Uh, there's love between man and woman, or or woman and woman, man and man in an uh, intimate partnership, and probably very few people are able to um, achieve pure love. In fact, I'm just uh, remembering that there's uh, I don't remember which spiritual culture it is, but there's many different uh, levels of love. But I'm not an expert on that, so. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, Molly. <laughs> you said profound things. Thank you for your wisdom. And uh, I have a few more questions. The next one's about God. What, where, and who is God to you? I think that I believe, I feel that God is an energy that is all around us. When I go into the mountains, into the forest, I feel God around me. Uh, that's what Native Americans, I believe, view God as. And actually, there's um, there in the uh, Lakota Sioux, who were the Plains Indians, some of the Plains Indians, they have a term uh, for God, Tunkashila, and is generally uh, interpreted as meaning grandfather. But I heard a teaching from a Lakota linguist who said Tunkashila actually means everything that has ever existed in creation since the beginning of time. And I think that's a very profound definition of God. Yeah, yeah. Everything that surrounds us. Yes, a hundred percent. Yes, yeah. Well, a thousand times. Uh, yes, <laughs> so true. <laughs> Do you see a difference between spirituality and religion? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> right. hardly, they're they're hardly even close. <laughs> you don't you don't have to go to a religion or a church to be spiritual. It's how you live your life. Um, are you kind? Are you good? Are you generous? Uh, religion seems to have become about controlling people and telling them what to do. And you're not religious unless you go to, into a church every Sunday. But I really love the fact there's been a recent conversation about, well, should the churches, op churches open during this pandemic? And uh, some of the churches said, you don't have to come to church to practice your religion. And I love that because it's really true. It's not about being in a, in a building. It's about how do you live your life. So true. So true. So let's talk about your work. My first question had to be this one. How did you become a writer, Molly? Oh, okay. This is a good question. <laughs> when I was in high school, I wrote all the time. All I wanted to do was be a writer. I was passionate about it. I was writing short stories. I was writing poetry. And I wrote a poem that I submitted to my high school journalism journal. And it was clearly the message was that a couple had spent the night together, but they weren't supposed to, so they had to separate early in the morning. So that was not a topic I thought my parents would welcome. So I'd never show them the published piece, but someone did. And I got into such hot water. 
They said a 16-year-old girl shouldn't even know about such things. She certainly shouldn't be writing about them. And I was so humiliated and devastated. I didn't write anything again until the 1990s when I had such a passion about wanting to share my spiritual teacher's message that I asked him if I could write a book on his teachings. And amazingly, he said, yes, I'd never written anything between high school and then. I was in my 40s. And he let me write his book, his story, tell a story. It was a book called The Wind is My Mother, The Life and Teachings of a Native American Shaman. And it was a labor of love. I felt that this man had helped me so much in my life, a book on his teachings would help a lot of other people. And it turned out to be a bestseller. It's still in print. It was published in 1996 and it's still in print. So I think that writing is a matter of passion. You have something that you have to say. You can't live unless you say it and get it out. And uh, so that's what I did. I actually had somebody once ask me, how do I write a book and get a hundred thousand uh, dollars advance? And so, well, first, give up that idea. Right. <laughs> <And laughs> you, you have to write for the love of it because you believe in what you're writing. If you just write for money, it's not going to work out well for anybody. Yeah, so true. And uh, my next question to you is about healing. Um, writing is so healing, isn't it? So what is spiritual and energy healing, and how did you become a healer? I was going through a very hard time in my life several decades ago, and someone suggested I go to see an energy healer. And I went to see this woman, and she had incredible insight, and I felt like a turning point happened for me by the session I had with her. So I decided I wanted to learn more. And then oh, another thing happened. I was at a dinner party. Uh, in Cal- I was living in California at the time, and I was at a dinner party, and I was sitting next to a lovely woman who had a lovely English accent. And I said, hi, what do you do? Where are you from? And she said, uh, well, I, my husband and I just moved here from England. We teach a form of energy healing that's known as spiritual healing. And uh, we just moved here to start teaching it. And I was so impressed by her and her lovely energy. I went through all of her classes and ended up, ended up becoming a practitioner and a trainer of that energy healing method. That's amazing how everything just comes together. Yes. You meet the people you're meant to meet to move your life along. Yeah, right. That goes back to what you said about the uh, what life is, just this... Um, spiritual growth, learning lessons, right? Yes. What was the uh, inspiration and intention of writing your books, Meditations on the Natural World and the Fountain of Youth is Just a Breath Away? I wrote The Fountain of Youth first because um, part of the curriculum of the class, I teach for an international organization that's based out of England, and part of the curriculum is breath work. And when I first took the classes as a student, I was sort of fascinated to have breath work as part of the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And uh, about three weeks after I took the first course, I saw an ad in the Los Angeles Times about classes in breath work. So I looked up the organization and I took their class. And I've ha- actually, I've had a, a, a daily breath work practice since 1999, so 20 years, 21 years. It's the key to health. In fact, the full title of the book is Meditations on the Natural World, 
breathing exercises for relaxation, health, and vitality. And that makes so much sense, breathing. Would you say that if there's one element that's the most important would be air, breath? Yes. And the interesting thing, particularly with the COVID-19 going around now, the average adult only uses 20% of their lung capacity. You know, just like as we age, our bodies, unless we go to the gym or run or work out with weights or, or really work at keeping our bodies finely tuned, they sort of uh, get a little decrepit. Same thing with our lungs. If we don't exercise our lungs, but with breathing exercises, we lose our respiratory capacity. Mm -hmm. This is why pneumonia is so dangerous in the elderly, because they don't have the respiratory capacity to fight it. So if everybody did breathing exercises, they would be so much better off. In fact, um, Andrew Weil, a very well-known um, holistic MD, he says this, if I had to limit my advice on healthier living to just one tip, it would simply be to learn how to breathe correctly. So I'm passionate about health. I'm passionate about health. I teach it, and I try to live a healthy life. And so anything that I find that will benefit people, I'm going to write about it, <laughs> either in my blog or in a book. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> That's wonderful. Yeah, and I thank you for that. So my questions here, the order was meditation first, but I'll begin with the breathing, <laughs> breath, talking about breathing first. What is the correct way to breathe? The correct, correct breathing is called abdominal, abdominal breathing, which means that when you take an inhale, your abdomen expands more than your chest expands. So if you put one hand on your abdomen, one hand on your chest, yeah. and take an inhale, which moves mo mo most, the abdomen or the chest? Yeah, it's my belly for sure. Yes, yeah. Good. Then yeah. you are an abdominal breather. That's very good. Some people their chest will move the most. That means they're only taking very shallow breaths, and that's not the best breaths to take. Um, it takes practice to learn how to breathe correctly. Most people, because we, our culture has such a priority on beauty mm. and flat abs, mm. most people want to hold their abdominal muscles in to have a flat ab for beauty, and that's inhibiting their breathing. That's funny. So it's a big mistake. Yeah. So people do that, really? That's a, a real thing? That's interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yes, yes, yeah. Because you talked about expanding the lungs, making them stronger. You would think that when we take a deep breath, the lungs, that chest area would expand. But is the... Um, hmm. Well, it, the way it works is when you expand your abdomen, uh, it gives room for the chest cavity to open up and by moving down and fill the lungs with more air. Right. Wow. And my next question is about the inhale and exhale. Should we breathe through the nose and then exhale through the mouth, or doesn't matter how we do it? Makes a big difference. The most important thing is to inhale through the nose. The reason being, our nose has these little tiny hairs in them called cilia, they filter the air so you're not breathing in too much bacteria or even dust. It also moistens the air and uh, it limits, it, it controls how much air comes in because it, the nostrils are small compared to the mouth. Um, so inhaling through the nose is the best thing to do. Exhaling through the mouth is fine. Mm. 
Um, in fact, the people who do yoga, in fact, many yoga teachers will say yoga is about, is about the breath. And I had one yoga teacher who always used to say, only nose breathing in this class, no mouth breathing, only nose breathing. Inhale and exhale through your nose. What that does is it heats the body, it warms the body. And when you're doing particularly advanced yoga, you need the body to be warm so your muscles get supple. So the breath really facilitates yoga in that way. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you need the body to be warm, right? The muscles and joints, right? Um, I noticed that when in the middle of the night, I wake up and I'm breathing through my mouth. And I'm wondering why that happens, because I'm very conscious during the day and I never do that. But in the nighttime, it happens unconsciously. Um, you know what? That happens to me too, and I don't know why. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I'm just wondering what's happening. So my other question is, is conscious breathing. What is conscious breathing? Conscious breathing is um, being aware and noticing that you're inhaling through the nose and allowing your abdomen to expand as you do. And you can exhale either through the nose or the mouth. Um, you want the inhale and the exhale to at least be equal in terms of inhale for four to a count of four, exhale to a count of four, or it's really good if the exhales are longer than the inhale, because that allows your body to have more time with the breath to use it. Uh, one of the, one of the breathing, breathing exercises I do, this is actually my favorite, I do this every morning. Inhale for four, hold for four, exhale for six, hold for two. So it's four, four, six, two. There are a lot of different breathing exercises that involve counting your breaths, counting your inhale, counting your hold, uh, counting your exhale. They're all correct. They're all just different ways of doing it. For how long, Molly? 10 times, 20, or for two minutes? Yeah. Well, when you're starting, don't do breathing exercises for too long because the breathing exercises oxygenate your brain, right. which is not used to being oxygenated because we're usually not breathing properly, and it can make you lightheaded. So I do about 15 minutes of breathing exercises every morning, and I would say anybody starting out, um, if you're going to do pick one particular breath you want to try, 10 breaths, 10 times. Okay, 10. That's just a start and then build up to more. To 15 minutes. Wow. Do you still get lightheaded or this is over? Oh, no. No. Wow. And I, I'm doing about five, six different breathing techniques in that 15 minutes. That sounds really wonderful. Yeah, it always goes back to breathing. Okay. And that's another my other question about stress. So how does breathing, effective breathing, reduce stress? Oh, it totally reduces stress. In fact, a really good thing to do is, to, uh, anybody listening, when you're sitting at your desk during the day, stop, sit up straight, inhale to a count of four, exhale to a count of six, and keep repeating that. What you're doing is you're relaxing your body, and you're putting your um, sympathetic nervous, uh, no, the, what's, what's the name of it? We have two nervous systems in our body. Well, actually, what you're putting in, into play right, is the relaxation right. response. And it happens immediately. That's the effects. They're so, I mean, it's so powerful. Oh, yeah. Incredibly yeah. powerful. It surprised me that more people don't use it. They have no idea they're not breathing correctly. Yeah. 
What happens is you, if you watch a little baby laying on its back breathing, you'll see its abdomen rises and falls, rises and falls as it, as it uh, breathes. By the time children reach the age of seven, they're starting to observe the world around them, how their parents behave, how their teachers behave. They start to see all the stress. Oh, wow. And to fit in, they take on that stress. And as we get stressed, we shortchange our breathing. And the best way to get unstressed is through slow, relaxed breathing. In fact, there's a new statistic that at least 90% of all visits to the doctor are stress-related. Actually, I was giving, giving a talk on my book on breathing at a medical clinic, and the head doctor was in the audience, and he shouted out, more than 90%. <laughs> wow. Based on the clients and patients that he sees. So... Um, that is amazing. Wow, it's interesting what you said uh, about that we tend to imitate uh, children, adults, they take up the stress and now we are mirroring like our, our surroundings. Something interesting happened to me recently. I was doing the breathing exercise, those um, holding the breath and then uh, breathing with my nose, just what you said, and then releasing through the mouth. I make that sound, the ha sound for a long time. And somebody next to me got really uncomfortable about it. Well, because it's, it's out of the ordinary. It's out of the ordinary. So he heard something out of the ordinary. So I would suggest doing your breathing exercises in private, not around people. Yeah, they'll think you're weird. Oh, <laughs> not around people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I learned my lesson. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And like you said, I think most people are just used to, yeah, this stress kind of way of living, even not breathing, but living as well. That is, uh, for them, it's kind of uncomfortable being around others when they are relaxed, <laughs> I guess. Uh, what is meditation and why do we, should we all meditate? Meditation is being at a still point. In fact, there's a study that was done that says the average person has 50,000 unique thoughts a day. Right. <laughs> and most of them are the same as they had yesterday. So if, if you're walking down the street or doing the dishes or cooking dinner and your mind is thinking about what's happening next week, your next vacation, what happened today at your job, you can't have any peace. Because you're replaying scenarios that may or may not have been pleasant. Meditation is just arriving at a still point where you sort of empty your mind or you replace it with something beneficial. Like, in fact, I put in my meditation book, one of the meditation techniques is focusing on your breath because that will bring you to a still point. Mm, yeah. So there are many different kinds. I know you have many kinds here, which I'm going to mention in a moment. But before that, talk to me about some of the benefits of meditation. Oh, there's so many. I'm just going to read to you from my book. Reduces mental tension, helps lower your blood pressure. That's an important one. Strengthens the heart, increases blood flow, helps you sleep, reduces the intensity and length of allergy and asthma attacks. That's really important can manage chronic pain uh -huh. yeah. and slow down age-related brain atrophy. It also increases your NK cells in your body. NK cells are, are natural, they're called natural killer cells. 
So if you have cancer, if you have some cancer cells that are growing in your body, what you want is for your natural killer cells to come in and attack the cancer cells and destroy them. Uh, anything you can do for yourself that increases your NK cells, you want to do because it will nip illness in the bud. And meditation is a big increaser of NK, NK cells. Wow. I'm wondering if it also helps with weight loss. Do you think it does? I haven't seen any study on, studies on it, but, um, you know, I think a lot of people do stress eating. And uh, anything that yeah. will reduce your stress will probably yeah. reduce that kind of eating. So, yeah, I think that would help. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. That's a very exactly. good point. Yes. They call emotional eating, right? You're so stressed out that you reach out to food. So true. So in, in your book, you talk about meditation myth. So what are some of these myths, Molly? One is people say it's too hard. Well, it's only hard if you think it's hard. Mm -hmm. yeah. In fact, um, I cite the story of uh, about 10 years ago, I was going to a church where they taught a class on the, um, the ox herding pictures from China. And these pictures were about a series of pictures about trying to herd oxes. And it, it was an analogy for meditation. And the point was that meditation is hard. And I really, really didn't like that analogy because it doesn't have to be hard. It's only hard if you believe it's going to be hard. If you, if you find the meditation technique that's right for you, that's a right fit for you, it'll be easy. Uh, I, decade, many decades ago, I joined a cult, and we were told to meditate for one hour every morning and one hour every night. Oh. And I simply couldn't do it because I'm a very active person. I like to be out hiking, biking. Um, it was very hard to sit in one place. So as a result, I never did it. And then I realized, then I took, actually, when I took that breath class um, in 1999, they taught me a, te a technique that worked for me. It was a mantra. It was short and simple. I could do it for five minutes. And that was it. All it so I realized it's just a matter of finding the meditation technique that's an appropriate fit for you. There's not just one way to meditate. And that's one thing I really want to get across to people. And I love that. I love that idea. Because we are all unique, right? Exactly. You can't, you can't try to fit everybody into the same hole or yeah. box, box. Yeah. Right, right. That's why you have so many different ways of meditating. I love that. The ideas. I'll mention them in a moment. Uh, but I have another question for you here about, I think a lot of people confuse meditation with mindfulness. So, yeah, please tell me the difference, because I have confused that, too. I thought they were the same. but Well, there's a lot of overlap. And to my mind, mindfulness is being in the present and doing something with your total focus. An example is uh, the way of tea, the Japanese tea ceremony. Right, right. Where you prepare the tea with total focus. You're make, taking actions as you prepare the tea, but you're in total focus. You're not thinking about other things. Right. So it's actually more of an uh, action meditation. Right. You can eat an apple, being totally focused. Mm. Pick, up, pick up the apple, feel it. What does the surface feel like? Mm. What, what color is it? Take a bite of it. What's the sound as you bite? Mm. Right. What does it taste like? Be totally focused and immersed, and immersed in the apple. 
And that's practicing mindfulness. Whereas to meditate, you wouldn't, unless you're doing a walking meditation, you probably wouldn't be doing anything else. Oh, I see. So I guess my question is, what is the ultimate purpose of meditation? What's the intention? To bring joy into your life and health. Joy and health. That's mm-hmm. what I would I say it is. Yeah. Because it's not, um, yeah, it's not um, nirvana. Because uh, some meditators, like some people, they become meditators, which I never understood, that kind of uh, way of living. Yeah. So they are only joyful, only really peaceful when they are meditating. Yeah. The, to me, their meditation isn't working then. <laughs> <laughs> right, because we should bring this to the everyday life, right? <laughs> yes. It should, it should overflow into the rest of your life. I agree. <laughs> um, should we have a specific place to meditate or it doesn't really matter? Absolutely. Well, if you're in an emergency and you want to start meditating to calm yourself down, place doesn't matter. Do it where you are. But ideally, you will have a designated place. I have a whole chapter on this because when you create a beautiful, simple place uh, to meditate, it starts to create an energy. Every time you go there, it creates a beautiful, peaceful energy so that the next time you come back, it's easier to slip into that beautiful energy. To have things on your altar that, and this is not an altar like in a church, it's an altar for things that are meaningful to you that help bring you peace. Mm. You can have photos of spiritual teachers, flowers, plants, rocks, crystals, um, anything you want. Anything that to you represents spirituality or peacefulness. And when you go to that altar, you'll get into that mellow place that much faster. Let's talk about uh, the different kinds of meditation. And before I mention them, do you have a favorite one yourself? I actually meditate on the mantra and on my breath. Following the breath is a wonderful meditation, and it's a really easy one. But uh, when I took that breathwork class 20 years ago, they also taught meditation. And once you've taken the breathwork class, you could go on to learn meditation. And uh, their meditation was they gave you a mantra. And everybody got a different mantra. And I found that when I had a mantra, it made it really easy for me to meditate. So I still meditate on that after 20 years. Wow. And I also focus on, I just focus on my breath. In and out, in and out. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense to me that those will be like easier because now mantra. So the mantras you are actually creating sounds. So it has to do with the senses. So you're bringing the senses to the present moment. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You hear it, you feel it, you say it. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's very all-encompassing. Right. You have so many kinds. That's wonderful. Do you recommend any of these other suggestions or kinds of meditation to beginners? Uh, you have chanting, meditating on music, meditation on the breath you just spoke of, visualization, coloring, mandalas. That's a wonderful way too. observation. Meditation, walking meditation, drumming, and then meditation on sacred fire, which is an interesting one. I would like you to talk about the last one, actually, too. Well, meditating on fire, I'll tell you a story. I think I tell in this chapter. Almost 40 years ago, because my nephew just turned 40, I was babysitting my nephew at Christmas time. And he was very fussy and crying, and he just couldn't settle down. Now, I had 
a Christmas decoration that's called Angel Chimes. You have a disc that has four candles sticking up, and then there's little angels at the top, and the heat of the candles makes the angels go round and round and round. They're called angel chimes. I've always loved them. So I was holding my nephew, and he was fussing and fussing, and then he started looking at the angel chimes, <laughs> and he completely calmed down. And I felt it was not just the angel chimes, but it was the flame of the candles that mesmerized him and calmed him. So for me, if you have a fire, just gaze at it. Look into the flames. See what you can see there. You know, we were talking earlier about what is God. God is there. God is in every of the elements that exist on Mother Earth. God is there. Wow. Another favorite one is um, sitting out in nature and just observing. Like lately, I've been fascinated by watching ants. Ants. They're very busy. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. They, they, they're very industrious. Uh -huh. And they carry really big things that are much bigger than them. I don't know how they do that. <laughs> right. And um, you can get lost in that. The whole point of meditation is to calm yourself and stop the 50,000 extraneous thoughts that stress us out. Anything that diverts your attention from the 50,000 thoughts is excellent for you. And watching anything in nature is great. Yes, I agree. That makes me think about this repetition. We are actually just uh, remembering and we are living through memory and not really experiencing life, right? Yes, exactly. We're not in the present, we're in the past, and that's not it. Or we're in the future. And none of that serves us in any way at all. It's so important to be in the present, be in the now. And that's where you experience God or whatever your mm. understanding of God is. Right, right. I heard something interesting recently. Somebody said that the present moment has no memories. It's not possible. There's no no memories here. Good point. So memories, they relate always to the past or the future. What about imagination? Is that a memory too? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think of imagination so much. I think of visualization. Now, visualization, guided visualization is also another excellent meditation technique. Um, listening to someone talk you through something. Athletes use visualization to, well, here's an interesting thing. The brain does not mm. know the difference between you're raising your right hand up to the sky or just visualizing and raising your right hand up. The brain does not know the difference. That's why all professional athletes do visualization. They visualize themselves doing their sport, whether it's skiing, running, whatever. And they can get better that way because they're visualizing. So that's different than daydreaming. They have, they have a focus and a purpose, and they're very meticulous about it. And my book cites an article in the New York Times during the last Olympics. One of the uh, skiers was saying, yeah, it's crazy. We're all up there flapping, flapping our arms and going through all these crazy motions in silence, um, preparing to do our sport. Uh, and it works for them. It totally works. Yeah. Um, the word already says it's not daydreaming. Visualization has to do with having a vision. Yes. So that goal where you want to go. It's very important to know what we want in life, right? Yeah. And, you know, also thinking about, you mentioned daydreaming and imagination. Daydreaming 
I don't think it serves a purpose unless you're visualizing a goal and you're going to take action to make it happen. Right. I agree. Otherwise, you just waste you're wasting yeah, your time. Wasting energy, right, Molly? Right. Yeah. Um, we're almost at the end of the interview. I have a few final questions that they are unrelated to the subject. But before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage from your book, your books? All I could say is, please try it. Try one thing, breathing or meditation. Um, because really, it can change your life. It really, really can. We all want health. And we're living in a very, very toxic world. We have to do everything we can to keep ourselves in balance and healthy. And these are two techniques that can impact you totally. And, uh, and the other thing I want to add is the importance of our diet. You know, there's a lot of talk right now about the meat industry because the uh, meat plants are suffering because the workers are getting coronavirus. Our meat industry is um, toxic. These animals are raised, most of them, not, not the grass-fed organic guys, but these animals that are processed in factories live under horrible, cruel conditions. They're suffering stress and trauma all the time. They're, they're slaughtered in inhumane ways. And when that stress and fear courses through their bodies, it stays there. And when we eat it, we are taking in their stress and fear. That does not help us. You know, years ago, I took a, uh, a healing seminar from a very renowned animal healer. And at the end of the class, she said, I would really like you to consider not eating meat. <laughs> All right. And I was like, what? What are you talking about? Are you crazy? But then I started educating myself. And I realized that uh, when you're eating something that has lived a life of fear and violence, energy stays and you're taking it into your body and it's not helping us. So I encourage people to rethink their eating of meat. Yeah, and that's so true. I agree. I absolutely agree. I still eat wild salmon. So do I. So do I. <laughs> yeah, I try not to go too often. Once a week, twice the most. Yeah, not too often. And I actually have another question for you before I ask you my final questions. Um, I know breathing has a lot to do with longevity. That's what you talk about in your book, too. Yeah, that's big, right? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Very big. There are several uh, long-term health studies that have been done, like following peace people over the course of 10, 20, 30 years, and that have discovered that the biggest indicator of healthy longevity is respiratory capacity. And the way you maintain your respiratory capacity is through conscious breathing. Do some breathing exercises every day. And you will help your lungs and you'll help your lifespan. Right. Not, yeah, not just health, but um, also living longer. I mean, living longer healthily, which is the ideal anyway. Yeah. There's a saying in the, in the holistic field, you want to live long, die fast. <laughs> no long, drawn out illnesses. Oh, just live long, die fast. That's <laughs> true. That is so true. Uh, yeah, some people die in their sleep, which is, uh, sounds very peaceful to me. They call natural death, right? That's the way to go. Yeah. So my final questions. Um, how do you define success, Molly? What is to be successful to you? 
I think to be successful is to have peace of mind. You know, if you're uh, if you're worried about paying your bills or you're worried about when will I ever find my true love, if you're focusing on that, you're not in the present, and uh, you got to be be here now. What was that? 40, 50 years ago, this book came out that really started one of the movements of uh, the hippies. Be here now. <laughs> yeah, right, right. And that'll give you peace of mind. <laughs> true. And that's, I call, timeless wisdom, right? Yes, yes, yes. What yes. was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself as of today? That I'm capable of following my dreams and using my talents. Um, a lot of people told me I didn't have any talent for writing. And it slowed me down, but it did not stop me. You know, I know plenty of people who are much better writers than I am, but I have a passion about what I want to write about, and uh, I don't let it stop me. You just got to keep going. Pursue your dreams. Yes, yes, yes. A thousand times again. <laughs> yes. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? I believe it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> but I think it's probably hard to get there. I don't feel like I'm there. <laughs> I'm trying. <laughs> That's cute. It's a great practice, isn't it, uh, Molly? I think meditation and breathing work has something to do with it. Yes, yeah. What is another word for healing? Balance. Balance. You know, the human body is, is a miracle. It is such a miracle. It is designed to self-heal. What happens when you cut your finger? You know, you put a Band-Aid on it, but it heals itself. If you break a bone, fortunately, you have to have it, you know, put back in the right position. But uh, new bone grows over it. It actually, at the break, it could be stronger than, than the bone was before. The human body is a miracle of self-healing. When we don't self-heal, it's because we're so stressed. We pull ourselves out of balance, and we inhibit the body's ability to heal us. Yeah. One of the things I love about the energy healing that I do is... It puts the body into a deeply relaxed state and allows the body's self-healing mechanism to come to the fore. Right. I've seen remarkable results with my clients and other colleagues who practice the technique that I do have gotten remarkable results because it facilitates self-healing of the human body. Yeah. Wow, it's so true. So bringing the body back into balance. And that connects to what you said earlier about the diet, being aware of what we eat, because the body will need those nutrients to, to self-heal. So two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? No, I would just make sure that somebody was going to take care of my cat after I was gone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's cute. Yeah, that's something I'm fortunate to be able to say is that I'm, I'm living the life I wanted to live, and I wouldn't change anything. I love that answer every time I hear it. <laughs> absolutely love it. That's how we know. Yeah, that's how we know it. My last question, what are three things about life you know for sure as of today? I'm such a big believer in it. Um, it certainly helped calm me tremendously. Human beings are essentially in their core good. Um, it's true. There's an old movie that I really loved. It's one of my favorites. Starman, and it starred Jeff Bridges. He played an alien who came to Earth 
and he was going through a process of trying to get back to a place in Arizona where his comrades from the other planet could pick him up. And his last line to the woman who was helping him get there was, you know what I admire most about your people, meaning humans? When things are at their worst, you are at your best. And humans do have that quality if they seek to bring it out. (laughs) Yeah, true. Yeah, I agree. And I love that word that you use, conscious breathing. So yeah, it's all about becoming conscious, right? Not just about our breathing, but the way we live, the way we think, right? Act. It has been a wonderful conversation, peaceful. I love your wisdom and your presence. I have just one more question, technical question. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Thank you for asking that. Well, I, I have a website, Molly Larkin. Dot com. My last name is L-A-R-K-I-N, mollylarkin.com. And I have a blog there. I have all sorts of resources there. You can find my books there. You can also find them on uh, Amazon. Just go into the search bar and put Molly Larkin, and uh, all my books are there. I also have a meditation CD and a couple of other books in there besides what I've discussed today. Nice. Wonderful. So it's easy to find me. Easy to find me. <laughs> yes, I'll have in the the intro of the episode, your website will be there too. Great. Thank you so much again, Molly, for your presence and your wisdom again. And we'll talk soon. Thank you so much. Bye for now. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Molly Larkin, please visit her website, mollylarkin.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.